Welcome to episode 12 of Breaking the Ice. I'm Elliot Simpson, filling in for your hosts, Io Christensen and Jessica Shadian. Accompanying the surge in political and diplomatic interests in the Arctic has been an increase in the amount of people who see the region as an exciting place to do business. Chambers of commerce, entrepreneurs, and big businesses are all starting to recognize the untapped commercial potential of the Arctic for those seeking new markets and those wanting to capitalize on existing ones. What does this mean for Canadian firms wanting to trade more with its Arctic neighbors? And for Greenlandic ones looking abroad? And last but not least, what are the implications for Indigenous-owned businesses? The discussion also includes breaking down barriers and what has and can be done to support free trade agreements in the Arctic. Last week, Jessica Shadian and Io Christensen spoke to the Arctic Infrastructure Alliance at the Danish Trade Consulate in Toronto, the Managing Director of the Greenland Business Association, the Co-Founder of the Inuit Business Council, and one of Greenland's most well-known clothing design entrepreneurs. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Welcome, everyone, um, to this week's podcast um, for Breaking the Ice. Uh, this podcast session is a continuation of our ongoing theme on Canadian-Greenlandic um, relations. And this week, we have a really fantastic conversation. We have Helen Sherling Olson, Madeline Redfern, Christian Keldson, Louise, uh, Louise Ling Bertlesen, um, here with us to talk about um, strengthening business cooperation uh, between Greenland and Canada, but particularly Greenland and the Canadian North, um, and what we need to do to get there, what we're doing already, and um, how we can strengthen those ties. So I think we should just jump right into things, and I'm going to have every one of you quickly introduce yourself and let us know who you are and where you work. Yeah, okay. I'll jump right in because uh, I'm Christian Kelsen and I'm with the Greenland Business Association. I've been, I've been with the association since November last year. Uh, before then, I, I've uh, worked as a consultant uh, and I've helped startups as well. I work as uh, the British Consul to, uh, to Greenland, so I also assist companies uh, coming in and I've assisted Canadians as well. Before that, I was with Air Greenland where we flew to Canada for several periods during the time I was there. So I've had most of my work life in, in Greenland. I'll go next then. So my name is Helene Scherling Olsen. I'm a senior trade advisor with the uh, Danish uh, uh, Trade Council, or the Trade Council of Denmark, located in Toronto, which is under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Denmark and the Kingdom of Denmark. And I've lived and worked in Canada for the past 30 years, 10 of those at the Trade Council. Um, I've been involved in Arctic affairs and commercial Arctic opportunities since 2012. So that's my main focus area as a trade advisor. Yes, hi, I'm Louise Lunge-Battelsen and I'm a fashion designer and entrepreneur from Greenland. I am also a board member in the government-owned uh, largest company that makes seal coats uh, and uh, seal items. And then I have had a retailer in Canada for two years now. I have gone and showcased twice in Canada and I have also been on eTalk Canada and I have spoken in the parliament in Ottawa. 
Good morning, my name is Madeline Redfern and I'm based here in Nakaluit, capital of Nunugut. And uh, I'm the vice president of the Inuit Business Council, as well as uh, owner of a consultant company called Ayungi Arctic Consulting and the COO of Can Arctic Inuit Networks, which is building a 3000 kilometer subsea fiber cable uh, from uh, Newfoundland, Labrador, Nanatsiavut, all the way up to the high Arctic. Fantastic. So my name is Jessica Shadian, by the way. Um, we have Io Christensen, and so we're going to be the hosts um, for this conversation. And um, I look forward to getting underway. Um, so I'll just kick it off a bit, um, and I'll start with you, Ellen. And maybe if you could just tell us a little bit more about the, you know, the Arctic Infrastructure Alliance. Um, I know now there's this new Arctic advisory. Maybe you can tell us some more about that um, um, and what your work is as you're based here out of the uh, trade consulate for Denmark and Toronto. So. Yes, so the, the Arctic Infrastructure Alliance or AIA as we call it is, uh, is part of a long-term strategy that we have to, uh, to increase um, the efforts of working with companies uh, in Greenland predominantly, but the kingdom overall who, are, um, who want to increase their existing businesses uh, in the Canadian Arctic. Uh, so the Alliance is, is created to increase the knowledge sharing um, and the understanding between the two countries. So what we do as a, as a diplomatic mission, as a trade council, we, we work with the Alliance companies to develop trust relations, a contact between stakeholders, between Arctic Canada and Greenland Denmark, um, and we draw on those narratives that, that, uh, that, that gives us commonality, that gives us a, a reason to work together. And, and, um, and then we scout business opportunities for our member companies. Uh, we try to introduce them where their competences are relevant uh, in projects in the Canadian North. Um, and we do that also through our physical presence at the consulate, at the embassy. We, we represent the companies at the at events. Uh, we uh, go with them or we represent them. We, right now, we don't go anywhere, but when when we do, under normal circumstances, we we uh, we take our companies uh, into make sure that we introduce them to the right stakeholders. They can be government to government, the the Inuit business associations, private the uh, private companies in the Arctic. And just keep our eyes sort of on the on the ball as to what is going on in in the environment uh, of the Canadian commercial Nordic no sorry the Canadian Arctic commercial environment. Um, so yeah, so we try to make sure that we always keep our eye out for the seven companies that we currently represent, and hopefully more in the future. And the companies uh, are sort of um, a broad range, but uh, but so then particular but not limited to uh, the mining industry and any kind of service related to the mining industry which is what basically gave birth to the alliance uh, telecommunication logistics um, procurement turnkey solutions for for clients uh, in the arctic uh, uh, that are you know companies that can uh, relate to climate and arctic uh, conditions uh, so taking the competences from greenland to the Canadian North and vice versa, and companies engaged in the sale of wholesale foods, in particular fish. In this case, with us, it's Royal Greenland Seafood. And 
So as part of strengthening this alliance, we uh, this year, um, during the, the year of the COVID, had to think of a lot of different ways of how we can further engage without being physically present. So we, we established this Arctic Advisory Board uh, later, uh, earlier this year, and sort of in an effort to, uh, to break down some more barriers and, and between Arctic Canada and the Kingdom of Denmark and beyond. So, and that board is, uh, besides our anytime sitting ambassador and consul general, is uh, consisting of some highly passionate uh, people for, with, with passion for the Arctic, for Arctic relations, history and culture, and um, including our newly appointed uh, honorary consul in Nunavut, Navarana Bebridge, who um, um, herself has grown up in, in Greenland and now have lived for many years in Nunavut. So, she brings to us uh, a whole range of good uh, value and, and qualities that we can draw on in, in, this, uh, in this board. So the board will, will guide us, make sure we stay on topic. Uh, we stay, we keep uh, our eyes on the trends in the commercial uh, world in the Arctic, that we are relevant and participating in the right event, the right uh, trade shows, and, and that we create value for the Alliance. So we work the Alliance work for Greenlandic Danish companies, helping them to establish and, and do good work in the Canadian Arctic. Fantastic. Um, I'm going to move on to Madeline. I guess one just quick. So is the board made up then of, uh, is it mostly Danish Greenland or is so it also have, Canadi Cana Canadians as well? Or We have Canadian, we have two Canadians, we have mm. two Danes, we have an international representative and two Greenlandic representatives. So. Nice. It's it's a broad uh, it's a broad board in in the terms that uh, we wanted to so one uh, one person is from the Arctic Economic Council so we get that sort of international perspective uh, nice included yes okay um, so Madeline you're also here in Canada well tell us more about the Inuit Business Council I understand it's relatively new but tell us more about uh, it yes, what is it doing. It so the Inuit Business Council was uh, created last year, uh, pretty much just on the cusp or just after the, uh, we were experiencing the COVID pandemic. There was quite a lot of uh, discussion around the need to support businesses, especially with a loss of uh, contracts and work. And we began as, as a small Inuit businesses to recognize that a lot of the programs that were being developed uh, didn't fit our requirements or our needs. And th there are a couple of chamber of commerces here. There is our land claim organization. Um, but so we saw this real need and, and there was a gap. Um, and so we formed the Inuit Business Council and we have, it's uh, to represent Inuit small businesses with a majority of 76% ownership. And we have representation on our board from across Nunavut with a goal to expand representation into the, uh, into the other Inuit Nunungat regions as well. This question is for Christian. If you could elaborate a bit on the Greenland Business Association, like how long have you been involved? Definitely, I've been involved since uh, November last year in my current role. But before then, I was actually on the board for many years. I've been working as a consultant for the Business Association as well. And the companies I've been with over the past years, I've been a member uh, in some capacity since 
seven or eight. So I, I, I know the association um, quite well. And uh, one of the many reasons for the different companies I've been in uh, for being a member of the, uh, the Greenland Business Association is to, to support and have a joint voice uh, when we're talking business terms and the conditions um, on consultation processes, anything that has to do with politics surrounding how to develop business in Greenland, but also from Greenland with, that, with the perspective leading towards the rest of the world, but also for companies coming into Greenland. Uh, the Business Association manages 10 industry committees, and we've got anything from uh, communications, telecommunications, to the mining industry, to infrastructure in terms of shipping and flying. We've got all the entrepreneurs, we've got restorations, hotel, and, and, and all sorts of businesses are actually uh, organized through the Arctic Business uh, Association. We have very strong uh, ties with the political system. We uh, we have ongoing meetings and dialogues with our different ministers, our uh, bureaucrats, and we're also trying to push and promote a, a, a bigger uh, business environment. A lot of things in Greenland are public, public or publicly owned, and we're trying to push for more private ownership and to make Greenland relevant for foreign investments. And that means stable legislation, uh, and environment where you can invest and rely on the legislation and on the conditions. So we're involved in a lot of different things, but it's all got to do with business. And we organize, as I mentioned, a lot of companies, uh, about 330 plus, uh, and that's all the way down to companies with maybe two or three employees and all the way up to companies with several thousand employees. And with our current member base, we have about uh, 7,000 employees uh, organized. And we're a country of 56,000 inhabitants. And if we say that all these 7,000 people have a family of on average three to four people, that's us reaching out to somewhere between 25 and 30,000 people. So half the population of the country. So the work we do somehow affects half the population of Greenland. Thank you. Next question is for Louise. Uh, would you tell us about your journey as an entrepreneur in Greenland? Sure. Uh, so I started up in 2010, just uh, wanting to, I, I, had, uh, I was educated as a fashion designer. So I started up sewing people's requests and desires. I started up on my living room floor and it turned into me sewing um, uh, one dress a day until I made eight dresses a day and then eventually had uh, manufacturers in Europe making my clothes. Uh, when I was at my top in my company, I had 25 retailers worldwide and I, I I think I can proudly say that I have the the one dress that um, represents our cultural heritage story uh, that is the most sold design in Greenland. Uh, uh, also, if we talk about population-wise, there are 57,000 people in Greenland and you take half of them being women and then half of them again being females and then half of them again being the age range of my uh, clothing, they would probably 
5% of them have my dress in their closet. <laughs> uh, I have also written um, an, an Amazon best-selling book about being an entrepreneur uh, along together with 20 other women. And um, right now I am still designing, but I have had a big setback in my company also due to uh, COVID-19 because of the uh, closing down of, of factories around the world. So they, I have I have spent the last eight months also um, have giving workshops about branding uh, your company in Greenland or about uh, promoting and marketing your company when being from Greenland and being an entrepreneur and how you can use that as an extra um, storytelling point in your company that can open up a whole new market to the world. Fascinating. Yeah, so that was very shortly my story. <laughs> no, I, it's great. It's fantastic. It's really interesting. And I, um, and so it, it kind of makes, it leads into the next, the question I want to ask to you all, but I feel like there's almost uh, two levels or two layers. Um, and so we see, you know, all these like business consortiums in the Canadian North and in Greenland um, forming. And I'm, so I'm wondering, you know, what, maybe what you expect, maybe also what we could see in, you know, first of all, I guess, strengthening indigenous entrepreneurship, but I also feel like there's a, a piece of this that's on more, um, let's, let's say large scale industry, like, you know, when we're talking about mining, telecommunica telecommunications, um, infrastructure, which is telecommunications as well. Um, and getting into a little bit what Christian was talking about, where your association is looking at actually some of um, these larger aspects of building, you know, a stronger business environment and these type of things. And so, first of all, what way can these consortiums help then connect the more, you know, the on, like let's say indigenous entrepreneurship together? But what can they also do and represent for speaking to some of these? you know, much larger types of business cooperation where there's very similar issues such as infrastructure, mining, telecommunications. So I'm just gonna throw that out there for all of you. Yeah, I can, I can go first. So for their infrastructure, it is crazy. And even more when you are a small company and when you are a small company, either you are a fashion designer in, uh, in the Northern parts or, of uh, Canada, Alaska and Greenland, the, you, you don't have a negotiation, a trade deal between the countries. So whenever I sell something to Canada, they uh, and they um, receive it. It comes with a lot of taxes. Uh, they have to pay a lot of taxes to have my designs uh, go into the, to their country and and the other way around too. So for us to go around that or fix that in some way like I have been um, I have held meetings with some ministers here in Greenland about that issue because our cultural history uh, and our um, our sewing skills our traditional ways of making clothes with our histories of being Inuits are very similar and the similarities in or, or some of the similarities in in this can really be a, a sales argument when you want to sell 
close in Alaska or in Northern Canada. And also when Northern Canada or Alaskan designers was, want to sell to Greenland because there are a, a huge interest between us. I can see that. I can see people uh, ordering clothes from Canada or from Alaska because they want to wear their designs. And also the other way around, I can see because I send a lot of ship, uh, clothes over there. But it's... Um, it has a lot comes with a lot of taxes, extra taxes. Yeah. So a say a, a trade a trading deal between the countries yeah. we that will support uh, entrepreneurs will like would be a great starting point. Madeline, maybe you want to pick up on you know this, and is this something that you know the Inuit Business Council is it more about connecting businesses together, or is there maybe this kind of um, like external or outreach component that you see the council having? I think it's both. So it's it's important that uh, we recognize we need to provide support to our unique businesses and, and so that they can identify opportunities or support programs that can help them get started or expand their business. And especially when it comes to sort of expanding your business, um, like Louise said, uh, we also recognize that there really is an interest for pan um, territorial pan northern arctic trade um, but there are too many barriers so having gone to greenland and iceland and, and other scandinavian countries it's frustrating that when we see products that we definitely want to buy and share with our families and friends back home we can't so we, i can't bring back any of the country food you know a smoked uh, muskox carrizo that i could that you can get in in uh, in nuke or the whale or different sort of deer elk um salamis and in, in in tromso it and then it, it also extends to sort of uh items that are not just clothing but fashion uh seamstresses here want to have access to the um the commercially tanned seal skins. There's a lot of not just cultural trade that uh, that can, you know, happen, but doesn't in part because of, of these trade barriers. So there's been a growing sort of push and awareness that maybe we need to have an Arctic free trade to facilitate mm -hmm. trade from Alaska to Northern Canada. To, to Greenland and Iceland and our other Scandinavian uh, um, uh, partners, trading partners. Uh, and that it really is, it appears to be that uh, a lot of the existing trade is, is really focused on our national southern country sort of products rather than our northern um, products, which are very different and distinct. In addition, though, on the large scale opportunities, there's definitely uh, a lot that can be learned from each other. We're, we're seeing very similar uh, types of not only big opportunities, but in some cases, pressures uh, regarding mining sectors, uh, as you just said, transportation, uh, telecommunications. And reality is, is that as we see even increased shipping, you know, between, let's say, Baffin Island, which is Nunavut, Northern Canada, and Greenland, you know, there's real concerns about things like um, 
search and rescue if something happens. Uh, if there is a you know, ship that with an oil spill and, and the need and the value to develop the local capacity to have that infrastructure and that have that coordinated response. And so while I understand and appreciate that the Arctic Council um, does a lot of really good high level uh, interpolitical, geopolitical sort of uh, work, the reality is, is that we also need to have businesses, our people in the communities, develop those skill sets or have access to capital that allows them to be part of these types of, uh, of large infrastructure projects at all levels, you know, so even we've have women that sometimes they sew uh, uniforms or other aspects that's needed in the mining sector, catering, and learning from our partners, you know, how does it work there? You know, um, what has what has worked, what has not worked? Uh, we also see some of the same, you know, very large uh, geopolitical actors like Chinese companies wanting to come into our regions. And so the more that we can even share information about, you know, what we've learned and, and where that it makes strategic sense for us to align with certain national or international business partners is, is a good thing. And, and possibly also to share, you know, where uh, there might be concerns about, you know, um, not partnering with a particular company if they've not done good business in another region. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to just ask one follow up and then I'm going to turn over to Helen and uh, Christian and then I'm going to turn over to, AO, to IO to ask some more questions. But Madeline, picking up quickly on what Louise was talking about, has like this has the conversation about trying to do some sort of free trade deal with Greenland, has that made it to the PMO office at all? Has there been a federal discussion about that in Canada at all? Yeah, no, I was asking uh, if it made it to the federal level. Yeah, in in Canada at all. Well, There's a I federal mean, the discussion. Fed, there have this. been federal officials that absolutely have heard this at, you know, some of these conferences like the Arctic Circle. Um, but has it made it to the level of the PMO's office? Probably not. Um, but this is also where, you know, it's important, not just one country, not one sort of, you know, tiny sector that, that it comes as, as a unified sort of voice at the Arctic Economic Council, at the Arctic Council, by our respective uh, um, businesses in our own uh, country, just as it takes a long time to grow that understanding and awareness. Um, but to, to say that, there is trade, you know, opportunities absolutely within our northern regions that is not happening because of trade barriers. So I think, you know, if we keep up that pressure, um, I'm hopeful that one day we could see a reduce of the of the barriers and that once those barriers are sort of, you know, removed, I'm confident that there's going to be a lot more trade. It Nothing bothers me the most then when what we hear is like, oh, no, no, you don't need that trade because you're, you know, making or selling or, you know, producing similar products. And it's like, well, yet as a country, we see ourselves exporting and importing a lot of similar products, you know, um, between us and the United States and your European nation um, trade partners as well as elsewhere. You know, the concept that somehow we don't need to trade is, is one that I think is unfortunately either prejudicial or still, still of a very, you know, colonial mindset. And we need to, you know, challenge that. Yeah. 
And then I guess, Ellen and Christian, in, in your capacity, in both of your organizations, do you do any of that? Let's say, um, whether it's kind of diplomatic discussions or even like, you know, efforts towards like, I don't want to say lobbying, but like, you know, in any of your efforts, do you talk about trying to expand, you know, free trade and, and, and create a free trade environment to help well, business collaboration? We, we definitely listen to our companies and the observations are exactly the same as, as Madeline mentioned as well. It's, it's uh, the barriers, uh, there's, there's a lot of willingness to do business together, but of course, uh, we, Canada and, and, and European uh, Union have the CETA agreement, which has uh, uh, tariff uh, uh, reductions or, uh, uh, you know, no tariffs, basically. Unfortunately, Greenland uh, is not a member of the EU in, in that capacity in the trade, but there is a lot of talk and I, you know, I think to a certain level, political willingness to, to hopefully discuss some way of having like a pan a Northern uh, agreement that could uh, ease this up. And I see also with the opportunities coming up now that we have uh, in the next couple of years when Greenland has bigger airports and we can sustain more uh, transportation between Greenland and, and North America, more air freight, easier air freight, faster freight, and that again opens up another channel of, of how to trade, even smaller stuff like, like Louise's uh, like fashion that doesn't necessarily come in big containers, but for small packages that can be easily delivered if you do mail order and reduced tariffs on that and what have you. We hear that all the time. And what we hear as a, as a trade council and as a diplomatic mission, we of course listen and, and we try to in, 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 we try to put that into our report and observations that we send back to our, to our Minister of Foreign Affairs. That's how it works. Like, so we observe, we report back and then we suggest and then we hope that there's actions taking on the next level that we're not you know technically part of as a trade council mm -hmm. but we can certainly relay what we hear on the ground from our companies and from the stakeholders we deal with if i might add something i can say that um i i gave a speech to the parliament in ottawa in 2018 re regarding this matter uh and just uh trying to paint a picture of how important it is to have this uh, trading um, deal between our countries. I have gone to uh, Toronto Fashion Week and showcased my clothes and I, I had a potential big retailer which was a big chain in Canada but it didn't succeed due to that missing link uh, and I gave a speech about that because uh, it's um i am well aware of the big um the big companies uh, and the the where the big money are in greenland oil uh, minerals and so fish and so on but there is just also this uh, potential and if you look at it as when you look at the clothing industry it is the second largest industry in the world so there is a big potential that isn't fulfilled right there I'd like, I'd like to add to, to, to what both Louisa and Ian said, in terms of what the, the, the business association, how we would be involved, we'd often be part of a consultation process and we would, we would open a dialogue with our companies to see what would the interest of the different uh, markets be. 
there's a huge political interest with the current government in Greenland in terms of, of setting up trade agreements with uh, other uh, countries. Uh, what it all boils down to is obviously it's very expensive to both uh, put these in place. It takes time, and it, but it's also fairly expensive to maintain. So there needs to be kind of a demand and there needs to be a market. And, and that's where we often come up short because there is not really a big market. Greenland as a country is too small to be a relevant market for a lot of products. Uh, and that's where Greenland is not interesting to a lot of companies coming in, especially from North America. So then we're back to the, the smaller scale. Madeline mentioned some, some food stuff, uh, local food stuff. Uh, obviously, we've got reasons to uh, products as well, but it's all on a, on a downscale, small scale. So from a political and a financial perspective, it, it becomes a fairly difficult task to do this. And, and just to give an example, if if if, say, we get the new airports in place, or when we get them in place, but if we have direct routes into North America, just setting up bonded warehouses and, and, and all the, the, the agreements that have to be in place and all the bonds that have to be in place uh, for a Greenland or whatever airline to be able to import, export cargo is, 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 is a huge investment for these companies. And if all we're talking about is a couple of kilos of, of, of of food stuff here and a couple of dresses there, then then we're in trouble because then the trade-off is, is, is not in balance. Mm. But then again, if you say that, you're also saying oh, we can't do anything um, mm. because we're not big enough and we won't know the size or the potential until something happens. So sometimes you just have to jump into it and say this is a risk we're taking. And then it's down to who the heck's going to take this risk? Is it the airline? Is it the government? Is it the smaller companies? And I bet the smaller companies won't be able to bear that risk. The, the cost of partaking in, in, in these huge costs on the exports would be a challenge for the minor companies. Uh, and that brings that brings us back to us. These are some of the things that we help on yeah. bringing into light. No, it's, a, it's a good way of looking at it. It's the, it's the chicken and egg, right? That we experience yeah, all the time. And so it needs to be driven by the bigger, maybe entities that have more capital and ability to do so but do they want to make the investment if they don't you know yeah. Yeah. so it's 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 yeah and i think i, I think Lisa said it said it best the, the most likely thing that we're, we're going to see is something to do with our fisheries or with the mining industry because that's where we've got the economies of scale that's where we've got some industries with some kind of, of leverage mm. and size that could be of relevance but the current situation, say North America, uh, it, it makes more sense for the Greenlandic companies at the at the current situation to export their fish and other fish produce to European and Chinese markets than to North America, because the market prices are better that way. So there's no real demand or any drive for opening up anymore towards North America because other markets are more interesting. Uh, and then that brings us back to other things we've seen. We've tried to set up links that are based on cultural exchanges, but these are even minor when it comes to the size and the economies of scale. Um, and if I just, and I'd just like to, to, to bring up an example, we set up a, a new Canadian um, route in 2012, I think, or 2010. Around that time, uh, we flew to Iluit, uh, which we've done for 20 years between 81 and 2001, and it was, it was closed for more or less 10 years. And the first year we had a few people exchange with families that hadn't seen each other for for a while that was season one season two most seats were empty because you know uh, the interest just wasn't there or the market wasn't there 
Uh, I, I think that's, that's kind of what we're seeing is we're seeing smaller markets and smaller markets connecting to another small market. You need, uh, you need to connect to something different. You need, you need big markets. And maybe just to build on that is that uh, some of the trade barriers um, have been reduced on the, in the fishery section, in, in particular because uh, in Nunavut we don't have ports to, to be able to land the turbot or the shrimp. And those are also sort of shared fish stocks for the most part. And I do think that we have missed some opportunities to look at even, you know, combining our catches and, and being able to negotiate better, um, you know, sales of our, of our fish products uh, around the world. But absolutely, there is without a doubt, you know, at the same time, significant interest to see even, you know, for the longest time, it was hard for us to even access our own, you know, uh, seafood products that were being shipped, uh, fished off of our, uh, off of our um, uh, communities. And it's since COVID, we've actually got a lot more of that uh, product that is coming back to our communities. And it's, you know, it's world class, it's highly nutritious. But it was bizarre that we literally knew that you know, a lot of this uh, product was being fished and, and not being made even a bit our own <laughs> being made available. But there is, I, I think, you know, we need to look at where these opportunities are. Um, I think that there are areas where we could be a lot more strategic, but it's really hard when, the, you know, if I want to go to Nuke right now, I'm going to either be forced to fly all the way down to Ottawa and Montreal, fly over to Copenhagen and back again, or, you know, if I'm lucky, I might be able to get a flight to Iceland back. And it's only one hour flight away. So the fact of, you know, not having any more, and hopefully sometime in the future, um, you know, those direct flights, it's really hard to have not only these uh, geopolitical sort of uh, discussions and developing trade or economic strategies and facilitating, you know, trade at all levels um, and figuring out where we can do more cooperation um, together and, and inter-trade. So it's, I mean, that's the biggest barrier right now is it's so much harder to travel across the north um, and where I think for the most part, a lot of us are forced to go south and the costs are incredibly prohibitive. It's not only, you know, the, the money for those airline tickets, but the time it takes. I, I'd like, I, I'd like to add another thing, because you, you, obviously you're making a point where two hours away, you have to travel all the way through Europe and, and what have you. But we're also very, we're very focused on people, we're very focused on tangible products. There are also services that, that could be of relevance to our regions. And we've, we've touched upon this before with the Arctic construction, for instance. Some of the experiences being done in, in Arctic Greenland could also be relevant to Arctic Canada and vice versa. And I always like to bring up the company of 90 North because uh, when I take a stroll out in Nengaput, those to Nuke, uh, some of the buildings that are built by a Canadian company, 90 North, when I, when I come to it, and I take a walk, I see the exact same buildings, even in the same colors. And, and these buildings and the technology has worked quite well, but it, it, it seems as if it's stopped there. I know we have companies green and, that are interested in expanding their knowledge and in moving into Canada as well uh, and setting up shop uh, making their 
experience and even investing in, in uh, research regarding Arctic construction. Obviously, obviously, there are some standards when it comes to electricity, inches versus centimeters, sizes of fridges, but all these things are, are they're meant to be dealt with. That's not the issue. There are some things in terms of sustainable energy, how you build sustainable house in the Arctic and so on and so on. Even yeah. down to how you build uh, or how you start up as an entrepreneur uh, with, with this COVID-19 situation, uh, you can you can sell uh, between countries workshops or uh, um, I, I do tutorials on how to start up a fashion design business also for people in, in Canada and Nunavut. And it's online, I, and and the opportunity for this had opened up for me due to COVID nineteen. So, so it's not all bad. Yeah. No, and I think the, the the Corona crisis has given us an opportunity to do a lot of virtual exposure and a lot of uh, events where we where would that would otherwise not be attended by so many because the travel is so complicated. But because we can all look into a Zoom uh, platform people who normally don't we recently had the uh, alliance companies participate in the uh, arctic development expo in northwest territories probably not a place that they would have gone to physically ex uh, have been present but because we could do it on a virtual platform uh, the companies were exposed in an area that they normally perhaps wouldn't prioritize as a very expensive travel uh, area so I think we what we need to do is to keep raising the awareness and 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 some of the places that where we can as a trade council can help at least that well we're in we're put in this world to help the, the Greenlandic companies uh, in particular but where we can make them visible is to make sure we represent them that we that we are present at the right places, even though the companies may not all be able to be there, having an umbrella that they can be under with us and be exposed and have someone talk their, their, their product, talk their business and their competences, uh, that keep uh, raising the awareness. And then I believe also that going forward after this post-COVID world, I mean, tourism, adventure tourism in particular is a huge, strong point for both uh, Nunavut in particular and, and for Greenland. We see so much interest in, in people doing that type of vacations. And I think both the areas have fantastic opportunities. And again, if it's made more affordable, if, if airline routes are readily more available and you don't have to, to you know, mortgage your house to fly to, <laughs> to a distant place, then then that is going to be a thing of the future as well for, for people to develop a new interest and to, to experience and actually find out that the Arctic is there. The world has helped a lot because the world in general is showing so much interest in anything Arctic uh, for various reasons, but that kind of interest in terms of the beauty of it and the, the, the reasons for why you should go and experience it. Uh, we need to work on that and we do that from a diplomatic level and a cultural level, but but also from a commercial level. This question is for all. Uh, generally speaking, is it prominently Inuit who are leading the change for North and Greenlandic business and entrepreneurship? And how important is this? I, I think I, I, in Greenland, I think we 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 are not so focused on, on the issue of race, if I may say that, as I think you are over in, in Canada. 
I think people doing business in Greenland, Greenlandic companies with a with a with a mixed background of, of, of say Inuit and European, I think we we don't look to the necessarily the race of people, but more of whether this is a local company or a foreign company, whether it's a foreign company coming in, setting up shop. And that is also considered a success because somebody seeing a market and doing business, setting up locally in Greenland is, is, a, is, is also good because then you're creating more business, you're employing people, you're pay, paying local taxes. Um, in terms of the type of people that, that we would like to see uh, come into business, from my perspective, uh, and I'll, I'll look to Nuisa in a moment, but I'm seeing a lot of younger people who are born and raised in Greenland now looking towards becoming an entrepreneur. I think we have some, some, some good programs yeah. today, but I've seen more and more younger people come up with some, I'm going to say crazy ideas, because these are things I wouldn't have thought of myself. We've got, <laughs> we're farmer, we've got greenhouses, we've got, we've got people yeah. making uh, designs, uh, all yeah. sorts of uh, coffee companies, all sorts of funny things, but these are younger people. Uh, and obviously, if, if you didn't grow up in Greenland, uh, you would probably come in with something more established, whereas the entrepreneurial side of things would most likely be people that have, have come to the country at a young age or have grown up in Greenland, whether they be Inuit or of a European background. Yeah, and I agree with you, Christian. I, uh, when I started up as an entrepreneur, I, I didn't even call myself an entrepreneur, even though I was the first one doing what I did from Greenland. A lot of other people had done uh, designs uh, inspired by the Greenlandic story, but they weren't doing it from Greenland. So being the first one, um, I, I didn't even um, I, I didn't even call myself an entrepreneur. I was just I just wanted to draw and sew and design and make clothes that were was inspired by my uh, cultural heritage so uh, I, I know I have been I have gone out and given a lot of speeches because uh, when I decided to take the leap and become self-employed it was a, a huge step for me and and everybody around me were of that belief that I shouldn't like you you need to have a an eight to four job and then you can do that thing on the side because um, that was the more secure choice and that were was what more people did up here so uh, there has been a huge change the last 10 years of uh, young people wanting to to take that leap and 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 just going for it and and also with the social media appearance that is has grown rapidly uh, when i started i didn't even have a facebook account in my company and so they you they turn to social medias and they 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 jump right into it and making films and talking and all that where whereas maybe i i would be more like uh, nervous to go and talk on the live camera. <laughs> so it's a very, uh, it, it's amazing to see because it's really uh, uh, young and fierce uh, <laughs> moving forward. But I think you're also making a good point because the whole focus in green and that comes with our educational system, it comes with the way people are employed, everything is, is, is looking toward public employment or uh, an eight to four job. So I think the barrier of becoming an entrepreneur is probably a lot greater in Greenland as you're really going with everything that you see around you've grown up with, whereas in, say, Denmark, which is a 
relevant place to benchmark against. Becoming an entrepreneur is, is, is much more likely and going into private sector is, is obviously a given. And I think you'll find the same in North America. We're, we're a planned economy. Everything is more or less public. And the main, main part of our education is toward people going in, becoming bureaucrats, uh, working for the, for the public system. So since that, that, that would also be a barrier going forward. With an environment now created around the few entrepreneurs we have, this is something that's going to move in a good direction over the coming years, is what I'm expecting. But I think um, also on, yeah. from the Canadian side, uh, now I can see that Madeline has dropped out for a little she, bit. She, she, she got kicked out, so she says, she's think, out. <laughs> okay. well, um, go ahead. Yeah. But, but yeah, I think there has been a, an ongoing positive trend in Canada and in, in Greenland as well. Question if you agree to try and retain talent, retain talent, yeah. being in Greenland, building more university programs, making yeah. sure that that we don't they don't all go south or to Denmark for for the better positions. Mm -hmm. And then I can see it you know, over the years that I posted Greenlandic delegations, whereas where it used to be the the five big ones showing up in a delegation, we now have many more small new companies. Uh, starting up because we have very good uh, support systems in terms of funding and contributions from from Greenland Business Association from memberships at the Danish Industry of Federations where you can apply some some uh, some funding to if you want to participate in a in a trade delegation and and that has opened up doors for for smaller new started company to to then go in a delegations with 30 companies where they can network and and hang out with the big guys so to speak in in the business world and that way create the network and meet more people and be engaged with with bigger and and with a new market in a different way and in an affordable way for an entrepreneur or small company so the trend is yeah. there it's just that we have to you know it's an ongoing working process kind of thing madeline you you made it back yeah, I, it got cloudy. And <laughs> <laughs> Off in the horizon, you saw the potential for a cloud. Um, we were still we were still discussing um, Iowa's question about you know um, if 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 Inuit are you know the ones kind of driving this um, driving the entrepreneurship in um, you know at least in Canada um, and and how important that is. Well, it's mixed. Uh, in Nunavut, we have over 400 Inuit businesses that are registered with our land claim organization. Uh, again, it depends on sort of the size of the company and the products that they're offering, but there are definitely a variety of, uh, of companies that are also uh, partnerships with non-Inuit or non-Indigenous in the North or even in the South. Uh, most of the focus has been north-south rather than north-north, um, you know, with Alaska or Greenland or anywhere else. But it doesn't mean that there aren't those opportunities. And I think the Inuit participation on the Arctic Council in particular as permanent participants uh, um, and people traveling do see those opportunities. Uh, but again, it's just there hasn't been enough sort of uh, coordination or focus. I think that the uh, Arctic Economic Council could do a lot more uh, to support and facilitate that. And I would love to see 
this become a, a priority area because I do think that there are a number of Inuit that uh, want to look at at least what are those opportunities. Um, just knowing that they exist, that there's too many barriers um, makes it hard at this at this stage. In Nunavut, do you have a region or con- country that you see is your, as your closest business partner? Uh, what about Greenland? Outside of Greenland, who would you consider to be your closest business partner in Nunavut? So, uh, I personally don't have yet a, a closest business partner with uh, with a business in Greenland, but with the uh, subsea cable, there is an opportunity at some point when we've probably built at least phase one, which is the cable in Dekaluit, and then looking as we move the cable up to the high Arctic, the possibility of interconnecting the two networks. Because the more that subsea networks are interconnected, the more redundancy you have uh, and, you know, breakages do happen and you want to have as, as little disruption as possible. So at this point, uh, it's too early for probably us to have those, um, you know, those conversations. But we are very aware that we've gotten to that stage. We, we will probably be looking for uh, an ability to work with Telegreenland. You know, whether or not it's going to be whether or not we can have this opportunity to strengthen business collaboration within the North American Arctic um, and whether we're going to see, like, let's say outside forces actually driving, whether there's more fragmentation or things being united, let's say from, you know, countries like China. Um, and then so that kind of inhibits in some cases, you know, greater cohesiveness in this, in this area, in this region. But going back to Madeline and she's talking about the Arctic Economic Council, you know, having this really big opportunity to step up and play a bigger role. But it also just kind of makes me think, you know, at the same time, a lot of this is the discussion has been about, you know, the economies of scale and chicken and egg situation. And I just wonder then by, you know, having these different consortiums and if there's an opportunity maybe for these entities themselves, I'm talking about the, you know, the Infrastructure Alliance in your business association and, and everything to actually come together and think through some of these things and then if there's an opportunity then to help create, if we're thinking about the North American Arctic, to build up economies of scale then um, that way through, through collaboration that it could help then propel um, the desire for those to be more risky and to take those first steps to kind of help build like what would be needed to trade it, you know, to, to help facilitate trade relations, import export and these type of things and build the infrastructure. I believe the next, uh, the next while, once we get out into the real uh, world again and and I think a lot of us have taken I certainly have a lot of uh, used a lot of this inactive known travel time to to really study and think about uh, ways of bringing people together and that's our main purpose from the alliance is to to uh, introduce the right stakeholders to each other and and Yes, there are the barriers, but the more uh, the more networks there are, the more pressure there are from from bigger companies and from smaller companies to to uh, to put on the on the on the relevant governments as how to to help them. Then the better that is. So it's out coming out again, being visual, uh, being present, meeting each other, um, 
Arctic uh, uh, nations like to physically meet. The people who live far away from each other and have far distances to travel always enjoy being together in a, in a, in a physical location. So once that's possible again, I think uh, we just need to continue the focus on, on, on breaking down the barriers and, and even easing the mobility between, uh, between our people and between talent and, and education and research and making it, making it easier to, to do collaborative work, uh, I think is, is, uh, is something that we need to strive for. And, um, and that's what we try to strive for in terms of how can we help facilitate that, bring the right people together. Louise? Yeah, uh, thank you. And for my part, I would say uh, also networking is, it is really uh, important because it's through those networks that you, that you gain those uh, names of the people that you can sell to as an entrepreneur. And then uh, what I would hope to see more of is uh, knowledge sharing between entrepreneurs in Greenland and in Nunavut or in, um, in all of, of these countries, countries that we have been talking about because there's no reason to invent uh, the wheel when it's already invented. And what I found uh, being a fashion designer in the beginning and feeling uh, very much left alone is that I had to, um, I couldn't find the answers for how to do the things I needed to do uh, within my country. And if I had some place to go and with someone in somewhat similar situations or with the same problems as logistics, um, uh, just knowledge sharing about how to do the things with other fashion designers from, for example, Nuna would, would have really helped me a lot. So I think that knowledge sharing between entrepreneurs would be a huge thing. Yeah, I agree about the, the knowledge sharing. And what I'm thinking is what, we, what we're currently looking at, if we say the Arctic, we're looking at, uh, at, at our, our region is 56,000 people. Nunavut, I believe, is around 25,000. You have Nunavut, you have North of, uh, Northern Territories and Alaska. If we kind of share the knowledge across that, then Louisa would have a, a better reach out because she's not just talking to the 56 potential entrepreneurs in Greenland, she's talking to whatever number we're going to end up with uh, across that. And again, that's something that we, we can share without physical presence. And it's also something where the barriers are very low in terms of uh, sharing the knowledge. Uh, and I agree that knowledge is, is king when it comes to, or network is king when it comes to, to, to starting and setting up. Because one thing is what we've got in Greenland, we've got a lot of support systems, but you're also going to, you're going to cash in a lot of, um, uh, favors with, with friends and people with, with similar experience and that's you know the, the, the entrepreneurs that we see that come out of success they're not afraid to ask the questions and not afraid to use their network and making that easier for people across the Arctic could have some value to it. But the beginning of a conversation I, I think that there's so much more to be had and I think this is like just the consortiums that are here is a great place to, you know, help almost a foundation that can be built from in terms of bringing people together and continuing this conversation and discussion, because I think it is a lot about momentum. It's a lot about knowledge sharing. It's also what Ellen's talking about, about getting this, the word out to the world. And, um, you know, a lot of things are driven on, on vision and ideas. 
And so, you know, places become places to be and invest and go to based on, you know, getting the word out there and, and, and a narrative around that and, and the vision and narrative around that. And I think that this is an exciting part of the world. I think we already see that um, given how many people around the world and countries are interested in the Arctic. And the important thing is then that the narrative is actually the one being led by those in the North themselves, right? And so that's who controls the narrative and make sure that we're building up this region to be the kind of region um, that everyone in the region wants it to be and it benefits them the most, right? So, yeah. Thank you all so much. I, I appreciate this and um, perhaps we can do a round two in some time from now and see where we we move to move forward at all and <laughs> and where we are so thank you so much thank, thank you, you too thank you. Thank, you. Having, thank you take care have a nice day yeah thank you. thank you you too bye-bye bye-bye bye bye, bye. bye.